Hey everyone, this is Caleb, and I'm so honored that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. Today, I am joined by Scott Sauls, and we're going to talk with him a lot about his recently released book called Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. And it's a lot about suffering and pain and how to find purpose in that and what makes people who they are, you know, as, as it says in the title. Now, if this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner, I want to let you know that there's three things that drive a lot of what we do here on the podcast. The first one is this, is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations because you can't just have a conversation with just anybody. And that can sometimes be true around the topics of pain or suffering, and that some people are very quick to offer an explanation of for maybe why you are going through pain if you if you happen to be going through pain. And it's just not always enjoyable to have those conversations with people. The other one is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone regardless of whether or not we agree with them completely. And that sometimes it's learning from their example of what to do, and other times it's learning from their failures and how they got it wrong. And the last one is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anything and from everything, because we believe that everything has something to teach us, that we can learn something from everything, whether that be a piece of music or uh, a picture or a movie or a storytelling podcast, whatever that is, we can learn something about life from everything. Now, what got me interested in this book is one, I really like learning from Scott. He's somebody that I follow and have listened to uh, several interviews that he's done. And I've really enjoyed uh, some of his books before. And yeah, and so whenever he was coming out with this book, I was really just looking forward to potentially having him on the podcast and then also just engaging around this idea of suffering and pain. And I mean, you know, the world has gotten even more into suffering and pain and grief and a lot of other things that come with that a lot over the past several, I mean, I, you want to say like the past like two or three years, but it's even so much more than that. And it just becomes harder to ignore, especially at some times wherever we feel like maybe we do want to ignore it. At just some point, you can't. At some point, it forces its way into your life and maybe we try to numb it or dull it or whatever it is at some point. We deal with the pain and we left wondering, what can we do? And that's why I'm so excited to have Scott on the podcast to talk about what can we do? How can we use the the awful things that have happened to us to help make us into beautiful people, as the book says, beautiful people don't just happen. And that's from a quote from Elizabeth Kubler, or Kubler, Kubler, Ross, and he quotes her in the book, and she uh, did a lot of work with the stages of grief as well. And I just want to read this quote, and then we will, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about Scott, and then we'll jump into the conversation. Elizabeth says, 
The most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep, loving concern. Beautiful people don't just happen. And so that's what we're going to talk about on the podcast today. And if you have other stuff that you would love us to cover on the podcast, I would love to hear from you. And the best way to reach out to me is Learners Corner Podcast at gmail.com. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Scott, and then we're going to jump into the conversation. In March 2012, Scott began serving as the senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. He is married to his wife, Patty, and has two daughters, Abby and Ellie. Previously, Scott was a lead and preaching pastor for Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, where he worked alongside Dr. Timothy Keller. He has also planted and pastored churches in Kansas City and St. Louis. He is a frequent speaker at conferences, leadership retreats, and to university students. He also has written several books and published six books as well and blogs weekly. We will link to all of that information as well. And he is the most recent author of Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. And so with that, here is my conversation with Scott Sauls. Scott, it's so good to have you on the podcast today. Hey, thanks, Caleb. Appreciate you having me. Yeah. And just as we're getting started, you know, one of the questions that I'd love to ask from time to time um, is I'd be curious to hear from you. What's capturing your attention or your imagination right now? Oh, that's a great question. Um, right now, what uh, is capturing my imagination is uh, the new Top Gun movie. <laughs> we just watched it recently and it took us way back, you know, Top Gun was like one of the big movies of my childhood. And, and, and so nostalgia, I guess, uh, would be the thing that's capturing my imagination in, in real time right now in this very moment. But, you know, the other thing, uh, you know, just these days, especially in light of the couple of years, the whole world's been through, uh, what's capturing my imagination is, is questions, you know, around what does, um, the redemption of it all look like, you know, the, the, you know, disproportionate uh, amount of, of, you know, difficulty and distress that, and isolation and loneliness for that matter, that, that so many um, people around the world have, have gone through and, and, you know, the disorienting political climate that we're in and all the rest, what, what does it look like for all of that to be redeemed? And what does it look like for uh, people of faith to enter into uh, those spaces meaningfully and, and um, you know, maybe take some leadership in demonstrating a, a better, more life-giving path forward? Yeah, what are you learning about how to do that? Well, I have more questions than I <laughs> yeah. do answers right yeah. now, but... Um, I mean, it, it, it starts with um, going straight back to the teachings of Christ. And uh, I think in these times, especially uh, taking a refresher course on the things that, that Christ taught about regarding how to engage in conflict and differences, um, it looks a lot different uh, from, from Christ's vision than it does uh, on Twitter, uh, including 
Christian Twitter, <laughs> you might call it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Christ was always encouraging everyone to take the humble place, uh, to forgive as God has forgiven us, to, um, you know, to, to look for the logs in our own eye before we presume to try to remove a speck from somebody else's. I, I think, I think those, those sort of core values that, that Christ, you know, gave us relationally, they're still in effect. They still work. Um, they're still the healthiest route. Uh, and yet uh, I think they've been in many ways, a, become in many ways, a long lost forgotten art. And, mm -hmm. and so here we are. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about um, learning to have how to navigate through that conflict, especially whenever it comes to um, just social media and everything, like just kind of in general, because it feels like so much of, you know, cancel culture, you know, point out all of the wrongs. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I, I'm just, it, it makes me, I guess, cynical and even like just not yeah. even want to like, I basically don't get on social media anymore. I get on Twitter to check a couple yeah. of new stuff and that's basically Sure. It. Well, you're, you're probably the healthier for it right now, but you know, the scriptures talk about how Jesus came full of two things, grace and truth. And so, um, you know, online, we, we know this now uh, after we've seen films like, um, you know, what's it called? Social Network or, you know, the Netflix one where the, you know, the algorithms even, you know, they seek to exploit our anxieties and, and the things that outrage us. And, and so, um, you know, just going into online spaces with our eyes wide open, that there are actually people trying to profit off of our anxiety and anger. Uh, and uh, it's not a neutral space, right? It's yeah. very well curated, very thoughtfully curated uh, to, to feed those things that, that create distress in us. Um, which is a little bit, you know, alarming if you think about it. But, um, you know, I think that uh, that whole grace and truth combination, you know, the grace piece has to do with treating people the way that you would want to be treated. Uh, and, and part of treating people in that way is to tell the truth about them instead of, you know, I, I think there's just a lot of spinning caricatures that happen um, in online spaces, sort of, you know, baptizing our own tribe and our own, you know, groups as being, you know, those who are in the right, those who can do no wrong, and then demonizing, you know, people from some other perspective. Um, you know, I used to live in New York City, and they have these, uh, these caricature artists, uh, you know, along the southern edge of Central Park. And, you know, if you wanted to, uh, to make fun of somebody, you would, you would, in that caricature, you know, portrait, exaggerate their least flattering feature you know their their big nose or the wart on their forehead or or whatever it would be exaggerated if you wanted to humiliate somebody and I, I think i think that's what happens on social media a lot is people exaggerate the flaws of you know of other people and um are just so incredibly fragile uh, about you know any sort of critique <laughs> even legitimate critique of their own views and postures and so I think just, again, um, you know, St. Augustine was asked, what are the top three virtues of Christianity? And he said, humility, humility, and humility. I, I think that that'd be a good thing to, to kind of re-enter that, that, that humble place, uh, realizing that Christ went first. And, you know, if the, the perfect king of the universe 
would humble himself, then what reason do we have not to uh, in our situation? Mm-hmm. I want to go back to something that you said earlier. You know, you said that um, uh, you feel like you have a lot more questions than answers. And I just love hearing, like, even if you don't have, like, the exact answer, I love hearing just the problems or the questions and tensions and all of that stuff that people are wrestling through. Because, like, I, I like to be on, like, the front of things. I love just to ask people what are the things that they're thinking about. And I would just be curious sure. to hear some of those from you. Yeah, I think the big question is, um, you know, what, what does it look like to bring life-giving presence and life-giving voices into a, an overall climate that is uh, driven by, you know, what I, what I think is the idolatry of partisan politics on either side? Um, what does it look like to value and esteem um, you know, the kind of thinking, you know, a lot of us, we call it third way thinking that is willing to think critically about, you know, different perspectives or different positions, let's say on the political left and the political right, you know, rather than becoming captivated by, um, you know, some sort of partisan way of thinking, um, what would it look like to, um, to think quickly about everything, uh, you know, running everything through the grid of the grace and truth of Jesus uh, to assess whether it's good and beautiful or, or whether it's vain uh, or profane. Uh, and to be able to, you know, speak into situations um, after having been thoughtful about them, as opposed to kind of letting the the main voices of whatever tribe we align with do our thinking for us. I, I think there's a, there's just, you know, the, the book, the old book, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley comes to mind. I don't know how many of your listeners are familiar with that one, but, but it's basically a book about how a society, and it actually is very prophetic about the times we're living now, how an entire society can be brainwashed uh, into a certain way of thinking by allowing other people to do their thinking for them. And, you know, I, I think, I think what, it, what it comes down to for, you know, for people like me who are, you know, my job is to be a disciple and follower of Jesus and to help others do the same. Um, part of that picture is to try to figure out what, what does it mean to, to help people become more attractive to the thoughts of Christ than, than they are to their favorite partisan pundit or, or politician um, to be formed by, you know, the thoughts of our creator himself, as opposed to, you know, partisan thoughts. Yeah. Uh, I want to, I want to follow up on that a little bit. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on, um, you know, probably anyone who's listening, and I, I don't put myself in this, like, you don't think that you're being brainwashed or you don't think that you have probably given up your ability mm. to think. Yeah. And I would just love to hear your thoughts on like, um, how do you know? How do you know if maybe, maybe you have, you know, drifted into that path? Yeah. I, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. Um, how do you know? I mean, I think part of it, part of it um, really involves getting into community with people who don't see things exactly the, the way that you do. You know, there's this thing called confirmation bias, right? We're all we're always looking for voices that confirm the biases that we already have. 
And so I, I think a really courageous, noble thing to do is to position ourselves in situations where we're in community with and in meaningful conversations about things that matter with people who see things differently than, than us. So there's this, um, you know, there's this professor at Duke University named Christina Cleveland, and she, she's, she speaks from the vantage point of a Christian, and she says that if, if you're a Christian, um, the best way to identify your own biases and blind spots, uh, which I would also categorize as those areas where we're letting other people think for us, uh, we're kind of letting a system do our thinking for us, she says one area, one way that you can you can, you know, constantly be exposed to your own blind spots is to get into community with somebody whose politics are different than you, uh, and yet whose faith uh, is congruent with yours. Um, and and a lot of people think, well, that's not even possible because the, because their faith is so intertwined with their politics and vice versa. Um, but which means really their politics are their religion. Um, but I, I think I think there's something really wise in her suggestion there yeah well you've also and i would say i would say before i before i move on sorry caleb no you're good your generation um you got to decide whether or not you value whether you value as the millennial generation the idea of diversity or diversity uh they're two very different things right um you know the the idea of diversity will settle for what we call tokenism. Uh, you know, being part of a group that includes different people from different perspectives, but, but, but we're not actually in deep enough community with one another for there to be any tension. Hmm. You've never experienced real diversity until you've been in tension with, uh, in relational tension with somebody who comes from a different perspective or a different, you know, way of life than you do. And I have found that most people, and this isn't just your generation, I think it's all generation, most people who say they love diversity really just love the idea of diversity and are actually very smug and self-righteous about how diverse uh, their values are. But as soon as they get into a conflict where somebody challenges their ideas because, because, uh, because it's a truly diverse relationship, yeah. uh, there's a fragility that comes out. Uh, by taking personal offense, uh, by, um, you know, piecing out on the relationship, um, you know, by getting really upset. And, um, and so, you know, I would say that, 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 that impulse toward diversity, have the courage to nurture it to the degree that you actually experience diversity on the level that, that it includes some relational tension. Uh, here and there so that, you know, both parties or both groups uh, can be refined uh, by learning from one another's perspectives, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yep. That definitely does make sense. Uh, one, obviously, you know, wanted to talk about uh, your book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. And, you know, anytime that someone creates a work of art, I love hearing the story behind it. And mm -hmm. so I would just love to hear from you of like, what, when did this idea like first come into your life and what made you want to go? Yeah, I, I need to write about this. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate your, your reference to works of art because, you know, the Bible itself talks about human beings as poetry. Um, you know, where, where it says in Ephesians two, that, that we are God's workmanship, the, the literal 
word in the Greek there is poema, which we, we get our word poem from. So every every person is a is a poem, is a work of art, is a creation, uh, and also a creator, um, having been made in the image of of God. And and so so the book um, is really about how um, we can leverage our anxiety, our distress, our guilt and shame, uh, our uh, our disappointments, our fears and anxieties and depressive experiences, uh, how those can be leveraged uh, to, um, to transform us into better, more life-giving, more admirable versions of ourselves. Um, I, I think that that these these kinds of things, you know, distressed realities of life that we all experience every day, they can either turn us into cynics. Um, it, it's really up to us whether or not we respond as a cynic to how hard things can be, or respond, hopefully, that um, you know, in the same way that a coal doesn't become a diamond until it undergoes all kinds of pressure, uh, or um, you know, a, a tree does not sprout out of the ground unless the seed or the acorn dies, cracks open and dies underground in the dark, right? Like these are all metaphors. Um, the world does not get healed unless the Son of God is crucified, dead, and buried uh, before he comes up from the dead, right? And, and, and you know, the Apostle Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians 12. He said, I've, I've, I've learned mysteriously to delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I'm weak, that's when I discover that the power of God is most at work in my life. And so what this book is, is, is a book that explores three chief pain points that I think have been amplified during the pandemic years. Um, and those are the pain points of regret, you know, wishing we could go back in time and uh, fix the things that we feel guilty about or feel ashamed of. Uh, hurt, which, you know, just has to do with the pain that we bring on ourselves or that other people bring on us or that just living in a broken world brings on us. And fear or anxiety, you know, the way that we, you know, meditate on and ruminate on imagined worst case scenarios uh, in the future. These can actually be incubators for becoming um, remarkable people. So, so the, the book was actually inspired by a quote from a, a grief expert named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And, you know, she talks about how, you know, the most remarkable people that she's ever met have known defeat and sorrow and disappointment uh, and, you know, all the rest and have emerged from that and, and become, because of those experiences, the most compassionate, empathetic people, the kinds of people who show up really well for others. And her, her closing statement on that is beautiful people don't just happen. Um, you know, you, you, and I think we all know this instinctively, like when we're, when we're struggling through something and we we're seeking help from, from other people, typically we're going to seek out somebody who's already been in the place that we're in um, because we know instinctively that they're going to be able to help us better than somebody who, who hasn't been through uh, the same kinds of things, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, how are you seeing that idea uh, 
flesh out in your own life right now? Uh, in my own life, oh my goodness, uh, a lot of ways. But uh, you know, one, one in real time, you know, I'm a I'm a pastor who just went through a pandemic, and my job, uh, a huge part of my job, is um, gathering people, uh, helping people connect with each other, and connecting with people myself, which has been really uh, hard to do, and and you know, for a good solid two plus years, and. Um, you know, uh, there have been ups and downs in terms of my own emotional response to to how difficult um, things have been. And, you know, I think I think your generation, as well as Gen Z, um, Caleb, you're experiencing something similar just in, in terms of of how hard it is to find a meaningful job uh, right mm -hmm. now that, that can enable you to support you like the job market right now, especially for people who are entering the, the workforce. Um, is so much more difficult than it was for my generation. And so you've got your own version of the same kinds of things that, you know, pastors have been through, for instance, or arts and entertainment or restaurant people have, have been through. Um, but I'm starting to see um, kind of in hindsight that there was a certain kind of resilience that, that was that was formed in me when I, that I didn't even realize. Uh, through just enduring one day after the next of, of just disappointing realities. Um, and I think part of that secret is I'm in community with a lot of hopeful people uh, who will regularly, you know, point out that, you know, we're, we're in the middle chapters of, of, of this big drama of a story that God's writing and, and it ends really well. We, we know that it ends really well. Uh, and, and, and so um, that, that keeps me going. I, I guess uh, uh, sort of a summary way of putting it is that I, I'm learning more than, than before to live in hope, um, you know, in the face of disappointment. And there's disappointment everywhere. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, just your experience as a pastor, and you, you write a little bit about that in, in the book, and you talk about the unrealistic expectations. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you cite several studies uh, from Tom Rayner, uh, yes. just all of these unrealistic expectations uh, that sometimes we can place on pastors, faith leaders, all of that. Um, mm -hmm. And I would just love to hear from you of what have you learned about navigating like lots of people's sometimes unrealistic mm -hmm. expectations of sure. you? Because whether we're you know a pastor, faith leader, whatever it is, it could be even in our family. We have to navigate unrealistic expectations at some point. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I have one of those jobs where I stand, in, in, in a manner of speaking, I stand uh, as a mediator between people and God. And sometimes people can make the mistake of, of expecting God things from me. <laughs> and I'm just as frail and, and fragile as anyone else, right? Um, and, uh, yeah. And I, you know, I, I think, especially in this political climate, um, it, it's been a, a little bit alarming for pastors everywhere, the degree to which their people have demanded. And, and I wouldn't say that our people here at our church would fit this category by and large, but I do know that for a lot of pastors, their people have essentially demanded that their pastors use their voices and their platforms to support, you know, congregant politics. Um, you know, again, because for many people sitting in our pews, 
politics actually is their actual religion. Um, and it, it's hard for them to separate um, politics and faith from one another. And of course, faith does speak into politics like it does every other area of life. Uh, but when your politics becomes your religion, um, you know, that, that, that's when, or when your own personal happiness and comfort becomes your religion, as the case may be. Um, it's easy to kind of lash out at, at whoever your, your figurehead leaders are. Uh, you know, there's that old phrase, you know, stick it to the man or, you know, stick it to the boss or whatever. And uh, I mean, we see this with Moses in, in the Bible where, you know, the people are in the wilderness, it's hot, you know, God's put them there, but they're uncomfortable. So they blame Moses and Moses didn't do anything, but what God told him to do. Same thing with Jesus, right? Um, he never did anything wrong. And yet, you know, people took out their own anxiety and disappointments and guilt on him. And, um, and so it's, it's, I think it's part of, part of the nature of leadership. There are all kinds of rewards to it. And this is one of the burdens is that, you know, whoever's at the tip of the spear or the head of an organization or a community is, is going to, you know, take more, take more cheap shots uh, probably than the average person. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back uh, to something that you mentioned. Um, and we were talking about this idea that, you know, uh, you know, beautiful people just don't happen. We, we, and we have probably somebody that we want to go to whenever we are going through that thing uh, mm -hmm. to ask them for their help. And this is just something that I've been thinking about is like, well, how do we become those people like that people can go to. And I would just be curious just to hear your thoughts on um, just around that, maybe what uh, what makes it so difficult for us to maybe become those people. Is it just because it's hard and difficult or anything yeah. like that? It's a great question. I mean, um, it, it takes time. You know, you, you can't just become that person in the snap of a finger. It takes time and life experience uh, to, you know, you have to become weathered um, to a degree in order to become approachable. Right. Um, you know, I, I think a huge part of growing up and becoming a really excellent confidant or, uh, encourager, um, is that your, your certainty, um, and, and, you know, your, your overconfidence in your, in your own ability to, you know, step into a situation and make it better is kind of chipped away at through the pain of life experience. And then you're able to enter in with somebody else from a much more humble uh, way that accounts for the mystery of why things happen the way they do and sees God as the solution rather than yourself as the solution to, to whatever somebody is you know seeking help for. Um, but again, it, it goes back to that virtue of, of humility that, you know, sometimes takes a lifetime in order for it to be formed in us. Yeah. Uh, one story that I would love for you to share about is uh, towards the beginning of the book, you talk about uh, your friend and mentor, I think it's Jerome, right? I'm is sorry. That, I said towards the beginning of the book. Oh, Jerem, Jerem Bars. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just love uh, for you to share that opening story just because it hit me uh, so powerfully. Oh, thank you for that. So, so yeah, this was when I was, I was probably about your age. I was in my early to mid twenties. Um, is that relatively where you're at right now? Uh, I'm 30. So close. 30? So yeah, yeah, you're close. 
you're you're a lot closer to yeah. you know than I than I am <laughs> yeah. uh, to that age. But um, but yeah, I, I it was a certain season of my life where I had a lot of anxiety, especially around health and hypochondria and this particular seasons I developed, I developed symptoms that, um, that resembled a, a terminal illness and it ended up not being that illness, but they couldn't diagnose it. They had, they had a very hard time figuring out what it was. And it, it turned out probably just to be like some virus or whatever. But during that season, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with Jeremy. He was one of my seminary professors at Covenant seminary in St. Louis. And, um, you know, with respect to my anxiety and fear about, you know, missing out on the opportunity to get married or have kids or have a meaningful life of ministry. Like, what if I die young? What if, what if, what if? And he finally said, yeah, what if, okay, let's, let's, let's face, let's face those what ifs instead of, you know, wishing them away. Let's just face them. Um, what if you never get married? What if you never have kids? What if you never get to live the life that you dream of living? Um, still, your long-term worst-case scenario is that you're going to be with Jesus in a, in a place of imperishable bliss where there'll be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. Uh, and so how bad can it be a hundred, a thousand, a million years from now? Uh, you know, if you're going to be perfected and life is going to be perfected uh, at the end of this one. Um, and, you know, as, as Bonhoeffer said, death is a, is a festival on the road to freedom, right? Like that, that's somebody who's, you know, been really anchored well in, um, you know, the, the theology of the afterlife, right? Um, and, and so his, Jerem's kind of closing argument with me was, Scott, you've got to learn to talk to yourself more than you listen to yourself when you're in these, you know, hypochondriac moments and seasons, um, obviously present your desires and requests to God. We're invited to do that in the scriptures, but, but we can be open-handed and trusting as well, because, you know, the worst that can get for us in the long term is, is actually pretty amazing. Uh, and, 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 um, and so he was really just trying to help me see the long view and to talk to myself with the truth instead of listening to the lies that my fears were telling me, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Uh, um, can you kind of tease out what that uh, talking to yourself looks like or can look like? Well, when, you know, with, with those, you know, concerns and anxieties and fears about the future, um, you know, which I, I still have those moments in different ways, you know, it, it's always just sort of catapult my thinking toward, the future promises that that are there um, and that are sealed and secured by the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, you know, which the Bible says, look, this happened with Christ and you're going to be like him uh, one day and you're going to see him as he is. You're going to be resurrected too. Um, you know, there's a lot of mystery to what that'll mean and what that'll be like, but what we do know is it'll be amazing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, N.T. Wright has this wonderful definition of hope where he says you know hope is imagining god's future into the present moment mm -hmm. and and so you know just to try to kindle my imagination um you know and, and make my imagination well informed with what's taught in the scriptures which are, are trustworthy and true but then you know then there's guilt and shame uh you know what does the self-talk look like there well 
according to the scripture, there's no condemnation, you know, for those who are, who are in Christ. And there's nothing in all creation, including yourself, that will ever be, and including your bad decisions, that will ever be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ once it's yours. Or, or in the face of suffering and trial and tribulation, um, you know, we've got promises there that even in this, you're being formed, um, you know, because this kind of experience produces, you know, as Romans 5 says, character, which produces perseverance, which produces hope, which does not disappoint. And so, you know, just recognizing that every, every regret, every hurt, every fear that we carry, um, it also presents us with an opportunity to grow, you know, um, there's this, there's this verse in the Bible that I never understood until recently, until I actually, until I engaged in this book project, where Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I thought, God, that doesn't sound fun. Um, but then I thought, you know what? It doesn't say work on your salvation. It doesn't say work for your salvation, you know, because we know from the rest of scripture that salvation is freely given uh, by the finished work of Christ. It says work it out. And I actually like to work out. I actually like to go to the gym and to get my body moving and get my heart rate up and those sorts of things. Um, and, and it just gave a whole new perspective about, you know, what role um, things like regret, hurt, and fear have in the beautification of, of a person, um, right? Because like you go to the gym and, you know, let's say you, you know, you got, you're doing these bicep curls and, and, and the weights are heavy enough where once you hit like 15 reps, you feel like you can't do any more, but your trainer is saying, you got to go to 25. You can't stop until you go to 25. And then you're just gutting out those last 10 and it's painful. It's excruciating. The veins are popping out of your neck. Uh, and you're like, I can't, I can't, I can't. And your trainer's saying, you got to get through this, man. I'm not letting you go home until you get through this. And, and you got it out. And with every additional bicep curl, you, 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 it feels like you're getting weaker, but the reality is you're getting stronger. Uh, and, and if you keep doing it, those 25 will be effortless in a month. Uh, and, and, and then you'll add more weight and, and another 25 will eventually be effortless. And, and I think, I think, you know, going through the crucible of regret, hurt, and fear, I, I, I refer to it as God's gymnasium uh, in, in the book. Um, that's how your salvation has worked out. That's how it's made strong. That's, that's how your character, um, your hope, uh, your confidence that, that you belong uh, to God and to his people, like those things are worked out and made stronger as we engage, you know, the, the workout, <laughs> you know, that... Yeah applying gospel truth to regret, hurt, and fear requires. Because it's not natural for us to think those ways. Yeah. Can you talk about um, like some practices or some exercises that have helped you like work in partnership with God towards becoming that, uh, you know, beautiful person? Well, I don't know if I'm that beautiful person yeah. yet. Uh, I'd like to yeah. think or hope that I'm along, I'm, I'm on the journey. Um but, you know, here's, here's going to be the really, really great news. It's the stuff that anybody can do. Um, it's the ordinary, uh, sometimes boring, easy to do stuff. Pick up your Bible and read it every day. 
no matter how you feel, get up on Sunday morning and get yourself to church on time and, and fully engage with that community. Um, figure out what it means for you to develop a robust life of prayer and, and start with just reading through the Psalms and considering humbly before God how the words in those Psalms connect with you and your experience. Uh, surround yourself with a handful of people that know you really well, uh, not through likes and follows and, you know, following your highlight reel on social media, but they see all of you and they, they experience all of you and they have permission to speak in your life and you have permission to speak into their life, uh, both encouragement and, you know, constructive input and feedback. Uh, I, you know, I think, that, I think those things repeated over time, over the course of years, um, are the only way uh, that that somebody's going to become stronger on the inside in the same way that the only way we're going to become stronger on the outside is to work our bodies out. Um, and, you know, I know it can be feel demotivating when you, you're reading the Bible and you get to Leviticus or you get to, you know, a genealogy or something like that. And you're like, what's the point? Well, the point is to participate in things that God says is healthy, whether you feel like it's good for you or not. Um, you know, one of, one of my good friends, very insightful person, asked me the other day, and he was, he was giving me an illustration about how, how people's character and, and spiritual life is formed. And he asked me, how many meals have I had in my lifetime that I can remember? And I said, well, probably like 10. And he's like, how old are you? I'm like, I'm 54. So you only remember 10 meals. And I said, yeah, I'm probably add a few more to that if I thought hard about it. But he said, what if every meal that you ever ate was like one of those 10 meals? And I said, I'd probably weigh 150 pounds more than I weigh right now, or I would have, you know, died of a heart attack a long time ago. And he said, so, so what's the answer to why you're still with us at age 54, relatively healthy? And, and I'm like, oh, bingo. It's all the meals that I forgot about. It's, it's, it's like the raw broccoli that my mom made me eat when I was seven. It's, <laughs> It's the salad that I force myself to eat for lunch on a regular basis now, instead of getting a steak or a juicy burger every time, right? I occasionally will splurge, but, um, you know, it's the forgettable, it's the stuff that's forgettable that, that's actually the most nourishing over time. And, and so to, to approach things like spiritual formation, which seems so, um, it seems so ordinary um, and, mundane and non-spectacular sometimes but every every now and then the holy spirit sneaks up on you and gives you kind of a glimpse uh, or a moment to remind you that that, that 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 you're participating in something much bigger than than what it looks like or feels like and to, and to keep at it for decades you know like like tim keller is a friend of mine he's one of my mentors and and he's um, you know, contending every day with an incurable cancer. And, and he says in, in this season, he's happier than he's ever been. Well, um, you know, one of the reasons why he can say that is he's been formed over the years. Um, you know, he's prayed through the, the, the whole book of the Psalms, all 150 of them every month for over 60 years. He has read through the entire Bible every year, at least once for over 60 years. Uh, you know, he's a, got a rich, you know, prayer life. He receives criticism humbly, always trying to grow for over 60 years. Um, and, you know, the, the, the point is that formation doesn't happen overnight and any, any, any more than bodybuilding happens overnight. Like if, 
if I'm, you know, if I'm 90 pounds overweight and I, and I want to weigh my ideal body weight. And if I'm, if I'm shaped, like I don't want to be shaped and I, I, I want a different body shape, it's going to take me years to get there and a daily commitment um, to, to eating a certain way, to lifting weights, to moving my body, um, when I feel like it and when I don't. And if that's the case with physical development, why, why, why would we expect anything different, uh, with spiritual and character development? And, and it's just kind of the way that God's orchestrated things. Like he's, he's set us up and now it's, now it's our part to participate in what he's set us up for. Um, and if we don't, there, there's a cost to that. It's our choice, but, but the cost is we're less healthy. Uh, and if, if we, you know, submit ourselves to whatever the regimen is, um, if we work out our salvation, um, you know, we, we might be pleased uh, at, with where it leads. Yeah. Maybe, maybe joy when we're dying from cancer. Um, you know, maybe we be, become those kinds of people over time. Uh, two things that you mentioned along with that is you talk about uh, abiding and beholding as well, which I was familiar with uh, abiding and, you know, staying with Jesus and be present with him. Can you do that? Mm -hmm. and, and maybe even, you know, unpack both of them a little bit, but even like I, I hadn't really heard about beholding uh, mm -hmm. too much. Can you talk about those a little bit? Oh my goodness. I don't have to recall it in my memory because I've don't remember everything I wrote there, but um, you know, abiding is is the stuff I've just been talking about. Yeah, um, it's it's just continuing to show up. It's continuing to be fully present uh, in ways that God says are going to be life giving. Um, beholding has to do with I, I think with focus uh, and with the ruthless uh, elimination of distraction, right? Maybe that's a, another good book for John Mark Comer to consider <laughs> writing, uh, the ruthless elimination of distraction, uh, to go along with the elimination of hurry. But, yeah. um, you know, the, and the two remarkably do, um, go together. Um, but, you know, we live in a, a time where, um, you know, especially with, with devices, distraction is at our fingertips potential distraction is at our fingertips all the time and so you know what does it mean to just fix our eyes right uh you know hebrews talks about fixing our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of our faith well we wouldn't we wouldn't have to be told to fix our eyes if we weren't tempted constantly to look around you know a squirrel you know um and, you know, we, 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 I think every one of us has our own version of attention deficit disorder when it comes to the things of God. And, um, you know, for, for me, at least it, 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 it means, um, setting aside and, and really actually literally scheduling, um, you know, those pockets of time every day where I can focus on the things of God, you know, through scripture, listening to a sermon, um, reading a book that is spiritually nourishing, um, you know, like, like anything worthwhile, you got to make time for it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's simple stuff. That's the good news. It's really easy to do. Uh, the bad news is it's hard to do because there are so many other things that are always going to be competing for our attention. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I know that we've covered a lot of stuff. Is there anything else just top of mind or about the book 
that you're just thinking about that you want to make sure that we cover and talk about? Well, I, I mean, I, I appreciate it. I, I uh, you know, the, the opening dedication talks about who it's for and it's, it's basically for anyone who, um, is undergoing any sort of disappointment or any sort of distress or guilt or shame or self-loathing or, you know, feeling injured uh, on some level. And it's, it's also, and especially for those who uh, see it as their role to show up for those people as encouragers. And, um, you know, the book has so far gotten a lot of attention from, um, you know, mental health, uh, caregivers and social workers, as well as, you know, people like me, pastors and ministry workers and, and others, as well as just friends who want to show up well for, for another friend. And so, you know, if, if you can find yourself anywhere in that description, then, you know, um, grab a friend and, you know, read it and talk about it together. And hopefully it'll be helpful to your situation. Yeah. Well, one, one final thing that I was actually thinking about it and, and your response actually, uh, you know, primed it for me is what, what might be one final, you know, word of advice or encouragement to the person who is hurting right now, is going through it, is looking for somebody um, to, um, to, help, to help them in that process. Sure. And on the other side, for the person who is the helper, for the person who is, um, you know, helping other people, what might be one final word of encouragement or advice to that person as well? Sure. Well, if you find yourself in need of help, um, you know, that's part of why we pastors exist. Um, hopefully you have a pastor um, uh, and, and, you know, start there. And, and most of the time pastors are pretty well equipped to know where you need to go next, you know, after that first conversation. And maybe it's just a series of informal conversations with a pastor, or maybe maybe the recommendation is to find an older person who's been through what you've been through, or maybe it's professional counseling. And, you know, I realize that some people don't live in towns or cities where there's all, you know, where there's available good counseling. Uh, but now they've come out with with some really good online uh, yeah. options. Uh, that's, I think, one good thing the pandemic has provided for us is, is so much more is, uh, you know, good stuff is accessible online. For caregivers, I would just say, um, you know, then that would include myself to make sure that we're putting ourselves in a position to receive care as well, to, to not always be the one, you know, in the room that everybody's looking to, to, um, you know, speak that, word of wisdom or whatever to the situation, but, but also to position ourselves, whatever that looks like to, to be cared for. Um, and for me, that, that, that means having a few friends that, you know, I can put my feet up with and get really honest with. Uh, it also includes having a counselor uh, that I work with on a fairly regular basis, which has been very helpful uh, to me. So it looks different for every person, but I guess those would be my closing thoughts. Yeah. Well, Scott, I know that people are going to want to keep up with you and get the book. Where's the best place for people to go to do all of those things? Oh, you can go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, books, you know, all the booksellers, uh, maybe your local bookstore as well. Um, it, it should be pretty widely available, I think. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast and just thanks for doing the work as well. Thank you, Cal. Appreciate you and your work as well.
So there's two things that really stand out to me from the conversation with Scott. I think the first one is this, is that story that we uh, talked about towards the beginning of Jerome, or Jerem, and him just talking about the importance of self-talk as well, and realizing the, the subtle harmful messages that we can say to ourselves without even realizing it of you know maybe telling ourselves that i'm dumb or i'm not smart or i'm not good enough or i'm ugly or that i'm a failure or that i'll never be like fill in the blank And getting better at trying to just notice whenever we're talking about ourselves like that. And I don't know, for me, it is in the subtle, it's in the subtle ways. A lot of it is not even necessarily out loud. It's just in my head of just catching myself. And it, and it usually is not something as direct as everything that I just mentioned. It's more like I'm going to let this person down. This person is going to be mad if I do this. I'm going to seem like too much of a burden if I ask for this. I'm going to seem like too much if I continue to ask for what I want, whatever that thing is. It's much more subtle than it. And how can we better pay attention to the things that are influencing us even subtly, including our self-talk. And I think the other one is just the expectations that we place on people. You know, talking about Scott in there, of the expectations that we place on uh, pastors, but and you can even extend that to our, our leaders as well. And some of these expectations can be very much unspoken. And some of these expectations can be things that honestly, maybe we should do ourselves. Now, yes, are there healthy expectations to have? Yes. But doing an inventory of ourselves, of what expectations am I placing on this person? Is this a healthy and or realistic expectation to have on this person? For instance, one expectation might be my pastor or my leader should be available to me at any moment. And I just don't think that it, one, I don't think that's a healthy expectation or that's a realistic expectation. And maybe that's something that works for you and it's good for you, but how does that affect the person that you have the expectation on? And I think just doing, I guess, just another inventory of what expectations do we have people is this a realistic expectation and realizing that the the strength of your relationship does impact expectations as well and so just diving into that and just thinking about that and that's something that has got me thinking as well so those are a couple of things that i am thinking about from this conversation if you have stuff that you would love to share as well or topics or people that you would love us to have on the podcast please let me know reach out to me at learners corner podcast at gmail.com please leave a rating of the podcast and a review that would be much appreciated hit subscribe or follow or whatever 
uh, button, press whatever button you use to make sure that you are regularly listening to the Learner's Corner podcast, whatever that might be on whatever podcast player you use. And I think that's all that I have for today. I do want to say thanks to Sam Massey for providing the music for this podcast. Thank you to Scott for being on the podcast as well. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of the podcast. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.